Welcome to Game Over Montreal. Carey Price is back, but the Canadians decided to make it, you know, very familiar for Carey Price by giving him the goal support that he's been used to over the last decade in Montreal. Zero. Uh, all things real, uh, the Canadians did play a very good game tonight. They came out, tried to win it for Carey Price. They got goalied, but I got a direct message from a friend of the show, Andrew Cohen, who's a writer for The Atlantic and a very smart man. And he said, games like this are instructive because they remind us of how untalented this team is as a whole. And I'll add how far they have to go until they're competitive. To talk about that with me, I have Scott Matla and Ian Boisvert. How's it going, guys? I am emotional. It was, uh, <laughs> it was quite a night. Uh, I can't help but smile seeing Carey Price in the ovation there and then a very nice tribute to Mike Bossy before the game here. It was a very emotionally charged night uh, for both teams, and the Habs played well. They got goalied. It sucks, but it's like, okay, there's some positives at least I can take away from this. It's not like they came out and just completely laid an egg anyways. Yeah. It was fun to feel something at the beginning of that game. I was sitting on the couch. We were just we just got done with dinner, me and my fiance, and she's. I'm watching this. They, they, I'm glad they played the full thing on on TSN. Like they showed him coming back onto the ice for the first time, and my fiance is trying to show me things. So I'm like, yeah, it's really cool. Like I'm like I'm like wiping away tears as like <laughs> as some guy I've never met took the ice for the first time this year. So that was pretty neat. Yeah, I mean. I think everyone at this point realizes how much Carey Price means to both the Canadians and to the game, right? Like he's been one of the game's stars for a long stretch now. Uh, <laughs> Laura's in the comments saying, "My two large sons." <laughs> <laughs> that that is us. We are behaving ourselves accurate. on our second show together this week. Yeah, so. We're like three minutes in. Let's give it some time. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. That's a very good point. It's going to go off the rails at some point. So oh, 100%. Uh, I was actually hanging out with Laura this afternoon. She was coming out and hanging out with my kids. So fun times in the former EOTP community slash also Ian. Slash also Ian. <laughs> <laughs> I but consider myself part of the Locked on Canadians extended family at this point. There we so. go. The extended universe. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm getting your expanded. own spinoff movie in 2024. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, it's I mean, carry price is important. Like, I think that's a take home. Right. And everybody who's been a Montreal Canadiens fan for a while, everybody who watched the playoffs last year knows how important that man is to this franchise. It, it was good to see him back between the pipes. I think my takeaway from tonight is he looked really good. You know, uh, there were things where he was sliding side to side where I was like, oh, maybe a little bit slow getting up but not like injured slow, more like he's 34 years old, slow <laughs> compared to Sorokin at the other side of the ice. Who, what the hell was that? Ilya? Yeah. <laughs> like, you I know up? Carrie, I, I know Carrie price came back, but we really could have done without Ilya Sorokin having his own goddamn Carrie price tribute in this game. Couldn't he Seriously. have waited like another two days or something for this? Yeah. Like, come on. Couldn't he have done it last night when he played last night and gave up four on, like a handful of shots. 
Yeah, I think this is a weird thing about this game, right? Is like overall, despite the fact that it's a bit like crushing to see Carey Price come back and the team not able to reward him with a win, and then he got sent out as the second star tonight, according to uh, the timeline there. Like, it's kind of like crappy for him in a way to have to go out and be the second star in a game where he didn't really have a lot to do. You know, no. he, he made some decent saves, but overall it was like the first really great chance that he faced was a three on O. It's like, come on guys, a three on O really, this is how it's going to go down. But the Canadians, I thought overall played really well. Uh, but I, I do agree with Andrew Cohen that this is one of those reminder games that this Canadians team is not very talented. And part of why I think Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki are players to watch going forward because they're doing what they're doing right now without much secondary scoring behind them. If the Canadians can get legitimate scoring threats that aren't on that line, you aren't able to line up your top defensive players against Suzuki and Caulfield every night at even strength. They have more freedom to move and that makes them so much more dangerous. Yeah. I was kind of surprised. We saw it a little bit early on. Um, St. Louis, I think, was intentionally looking for win 33 and White was on the ice to, to tap Suzuki and Caulfield on the shoulders because, holy crap, he can't skate anymore. That being Zidane Chara, like he, <laughs> that was awful. Like he looks, he looks, he looks bad. And I w- every time he was on the ice, I'm like, send Suzuki and Caulfield out there now. <laughs> well, and every time they did, they maimed him with another shot and like it hit him and it could have been traveling like four miles an hour. And then it takes him eight years to get up off the ice because he's, 45 which is like being 90 in real person years and it's like he can't move anymore and i know they talked about his reach and everything it's like that's great but you just go around him because he turns with the radius of like the ever given and like the suez (laughs) canal at this point it he's a nice enough guy off the ice but it's like watching his decline it's like oh wow he's he's washed washed he's yeah he's in rough shape right now I, I can't say there's anybody in the league right now that I enjoy watching being bad more than Zidane Ochara. I will be petty and admit it that I don't care if he's a nice guy off the <laughs> ice. One event has defined his entire career for me, and I am not ever going to move past it. And yeah. when Corey Schooneman blasted one off of his shin and it looked like his leg exploded and fell into the corner, I clapped. <laughs> I was all about it. <laughs> I was a friend of mine joked this before the game was like if somebody injures Chara, we're if Pizzetta fights Chara and takes him out of the game, we're retiring his jersey. <laughs> Pizzetta would get dummied by Chara first of all. Yeah, but that wouldn't go. When well. has that ever no. stopped him from fighting anybody though? He Never. took True. on Ryan Reeves for some godforsaken reason, and it's like if he's if anyone on this team is going to challenge Dano Chara, it's going to be Joel Edmondson who's just going to like hug him until. Chara's back breaks into because he's old or Pizzetta is going to actually try to fight him and get sent to the morgue. So like <laughs> there's, those are the only two things that would have happened, which now I kind of want to see Michael Pizzetta try to fight Zdeno Chara because he's a feral raccoon of a hockey player when he wants to be. And I think that's adorable. Remember, was it when Chara played a thousand games, the bell center gave him like a standing ovation. Like yep. that's pretty disgusting. I hated that. That was so stupid. Like the guy who like, He's like, he's like their arch villain. Like he's like the yep. bad guy of all bad guys to them. And they're like, yeah, we're classy fans. Like, no, I think it's a little weird. 
It, yeah, I, uh, I hated that, okay. and I hate every every person who was like, "Yeah, you know, Montreal fans are just classy." There's like a limit to class. Like <laughs> yeah. we have to remember that Chara never apologized for that garbage. Like his consistent thing was he didn't even know who was on the ice, and he didn't know where he was on the ice. I'm like, you're Stano friggin' Chara. You're a Norris winning <laughs> defenseman, and you don't know who's on the ice. You don't know where you are on the ice. We're getting sidetracked here. But yes, I don't like using the word because it was made popular by like Trumpist losers and all that stuff. But when the Bell Center gave Chara a standing ovation, I was like, you bunch of cucks. (laughs) (laughs) It's just garbage. Like, get that off my TV. Like, not even cheer at that point, like not even cheering for the team anymore. And I'm still like, get out of here with that that's like <laughs> fake fans you don't even remember get out of here if you're a real montreal canadians fan you boo zidane Chara. i don't care if he wins a nobel prize it doesn't matter you boo him in a crowd full of a bunch of boston bruins fan and you're the only montreal canadians fan you boo him <laughs> i can't believe Chara was almost a canadian too like i remember i forget if it was last year or two years ago that uh he was almost signed to the canadians and i'm like I don't think I've ever felt so conflicted about something that I'm like, no, like, yeah, he's a third pairing defenseman. Great. But it's like, I know I can't do it. Like I look at that and I go, I, Ilya Kovalchuk was cool. Like Doug Gilmore was a hab for a hot minute. Like, but Zdeno Chara in a Canadian's uniform is the only way to ensure that Leafs fans are unhappy. Habs fans are unhappy and Bruins fans are unhappy at the same time. (laughs) It's a triumvirate of misery. And honestly, for that reason alone, I think it would have been great to watch to see whose misery was the highest in that. But out of all the weird shit we've seen in the NHL, Zdeno Chara, Montreal Canadian, might have been at the top of the list. Chara would have been the only one unhappy because Bergevin would have signed to a three by three point five. So you shut your damn mouth. He <laughs> would have. Look at me and tell me I'm wrong. I'm not wrong. He was going to. He came down in a bubble, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> Grow up. Grow up. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we got a, a request here from Laura again. Then can you bring up Josh's shift? You know what? That is unclear because I think Josh Anderson had a phenomenal game. I thought he had yeah. several shifts that you're talking about. Uh, I, he's been getting better the last couple of games back with Caulfield and Suzuki. I, the only thing with Josh Anderson is if he could just think the game up this much faster, he'd be so good on that line. But he's still he's playing great. You know, I thought he had a fantastic game. I thought he used his body really well tonight. He used his speed really well tonight. It's just... There's very few people on the ice tonight wearing that Montreal Canadiens jersey that I thought had a bad game. Like Anderson was among the top, but yeah, there's not much negative to say. And I think I know the shift Laura means where he runs over Casey Sezikis with like a millimeter of space, yoinks the puck, and then while going full speed behind the net stops and Jean-Gabriel Pajot just yeets himself into the end boards, which I missed on the initial play and didn't see it till the replay. And I went, oh, I've got to go back and watch all of this because he did three amazing things in one shift and each one of them, they get progressively more hilarious there. And that's the thing is like, he's not known for his defensive work ethic and seeing things like that to use his body and leverage into positions is what you want to see from that. He doesn't have to be Philip Deneau, but can we trust you to like, you know, get the puck out of the defensive zone? Yeah. Okay. It's not a ton, but it's progress in that. And like you said, 
I, I don't find many negatives in the game tonight outside of the fact that they lost, which yeah. always kind of sucks. Yeah, I, at a certain point, even if you lose, there's not much that you can drag, right? And they they did all they could, and it's one of those situations where they just don't have the guns, and man, Sorokin was brilliant. We got we to gotta shout out Sorokin. I have to say, of all the games that Canadians played this year, and I know they haven't been in a position, Ian said this before we started recording, they haven't been in a position to be goalied, really. But of all the like Vesna candidates that they've faced this year, this was by far the best performance that they had to deal with. Yeah. Like, not even close. And they've been shut out. They've had bad offensive games. But this one, they were legitimately very good and just could not beat that guy. Yeah, I thought, especially in the first period, um, they got that early power play. I think it was the first period. It's all a blur at this point. But they that was one of the best power plays from them I think I've seen without them scoring a goal. Yeah, um, they were moving the puck really well, and who wasn't out there? <laughs> who was on Mikey. the point? You know yeah. what, and Mikey Hoffman. <laughs> I again, I thought he had a really good game tonight. He but did. He did. We, I talked about this. Who was I talking about this? But it might have been on the last game over. Yeah, it was. It was yep. with Harmon Dial and and Tony Ferrari that his bread and butter is like catch and release. Right, get yep. the puck off of his stick as fast as possible. Putting him on the point, I understand yep. where the like the. The idea is he can score from distance. One of the few guys in the league who can consistently score from distance, but he can't handle and distribute the puck at all. Just terrible at it. And I said during the game, I don't think Chris Weidman is the best option going forward to quarterback the first wave of the power play, but he's a lot better than, than Mike Hoffman was like, I love the idea of a five, four power play. I love that. They're willing to try it and that they did try it. And they tried to stick with it, even though it wasn't working to try to see if it could figure itself out, but they don't have the right players to make that work right now. And it was clear as day that Chris Weidman is much better at just distributing the puck and keeping it going than Mike Hoffman is it. They were way, way better. Yeah. Especially that. Cause that first wave, you know, I've talked about this, I think on this show before, you know, you've got Caulfield in the, the Ovechkin office. And then you've got, you've got Suzuki on the other side. Who's, who's kind of doing flybys up and down the ice. Like he's not sitting in that one spot on the half wall. He's sometimes leaving the zone and going into the neutral zone to pick up speed, to come back through Hoffman never picked that up. Like he never noticed that was something that was happening. He's a left-handed shot. So he's mostly looking at Caulfield the whole time. Weidman while still a left-handed shot. I feel like he kind of sees the ice around him a little bit more. Yeah. And I th- it's something that you guys talked about on the last episode was Hoffman throughout his career has never been in this situation. And they're like, ah, go get him. He'll be fine. Like it was, it, it reminds me a little bit of when they used to send Placanets out there to, to be the, the point man on the power play. It's like, Although, that doesn't make a ton of sense either. Lex actually was pretty, pretty good back there. It was just like, he yeah. had like, I think it was like over a five game span. They allowed two shorties. Neither of them were his fault, but he was like the last man back. They're like, yeah. oh, it's not working anymore. But he also scored, I think, two or three big slappers from the point. And everyone was like, Thomas Placanich? Thomas Placanich either hit guys in the chest or picked corners, and there was no in-between. <laughs> this is true. Oh, you know what? There is one in-between. The, the famous Thomas Placanich shot from below the goal line. From Off the, side the back of the net. and in. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. His last game ever for the Canadians, his thousandth game. That's how he scored the goal. He scored it off the back of, I want to say it was Jimmy Howard. And yep. it's like... 
it was ugly as shit, but it went in the net. So who really gives a crap? Like it, I, I, I don't want to launch into remember some guys because Thomas Placanitz played with definitely some guys, but like <laughs> I, I look at this power play and I go, yeah, Petrie was bad at the beginning of the year. And I know Corey Schooneman's run the power play for the rocket for a little bit before, but I'm like, is it just they're trying to see what else they can do to get something going here with a 1D4 forward power play there? Because I thought Petrie did fine, but when he struggled earlier this year, it's like he couldn't pass the puck, he couldn't receive the puck, couldn't shoot the puck. And I wonder if that just kind of soured the power play coach, whoever that may be on that. Uh, Alex Burrows. Yeah, I I think it's less about that than it is about he's not part of the future. So... Earlier in the year, one of my biggest gripes with Ducharme was he was consistently doing garbage like balancing lines when the Canadians were getting blown out seven to one. And he was like, oh, we got to have got to roll four lines and, and have balanced lines. And each of them play 12 and a half minutes. And it's like, but why are you trying to ensure that you have balanced lines when you're getting blown out of the water by a friggin' tugboat? Like <laughs> you were playing ECHL players. You cannot balance four lines. Exactly. Throw <laughs> your best players that are going to stick around together. Cause you know, things are going to fall apart after this season. Things are going to be ripped apart and torn back, torn apart and thrown back together. The guys that you know are going to stay, stick them together, let them develop chemistry. And I feel like even if maybe uh not the guy who's going to be on the power play, Weidman might not be on the power play next year. He might be somewhere else it makes more sense to try those guys out. Like they tried to Justin Barron before he got hurt and just see what they have. I'd like to see Jordan Harris back there. Cause he's had a lot yeah. of poise, but we'll, we'll see if that happens in the next few games here. I think that's what the, the idea is. And I like, there's some things now that we've had a decent sample size, 30 games of Martin St. Louis, where you can tell like he's not an infallible genius, right? No coach is. There's things like uh, putting Rem Pitlick up on the top line. That probably lasted longer than it should have. But he recognized that it didn't work. And now it's Josh Anderson back up there again, right? He's going back to what works. Putting Mike Hoffman on the power play probably lasted a little bit longer than it should have. But cool idea. Now they've gone back to Chris Weidman. So you can see that even though there are mistakes being made, there's progress in the decision making. And I kind of love that. He's letting guys have some extra rope to either show how much they have or hang themselves and then making decisions as those situations bear themselves out. I'm a big fan of Claude Julian and that I know that his time in Montreal had run its course, but something it felt like with Julian at the helm and then Ducharme a little bit is that guys didn't always get a ton of rope that if they weren't working, it was a very quick kind of cutoff. And obviously Michel Terry and this was his entire thing forever anyways. It's nice to see that, and that, yeah, Pitlick on the top line went on a little bit longer than it should have, but at least it changed. He, Like you said, there's the opportunity to do that, and I like that. The season's been in the toilet since November, so that's what should have been happening in the first place, like you said, and I hope it shouldn't be too late. You're obviously, we're going to find out who fits at least in somewhat in this scheme or concept or whatever we're calling it now. For next season we know caulfield and suzuki you don't take them apart like that just works now you got to figure everything else out which is easier said than done with a very busy off season ahead yeah there's a comment here uh from sarah y saying carrie price said he gave his first game back puck to a kid in the crowd was it lincoln 
<laughs> his, own, his own kid? No, I'm just kidding. I, I totally believe that he gave it to some random kid. That's awesome. Um, another really good comment here saying from Rock Smasha saying, you have to think the original plan or thought from the five forward power play was to put Jonathan Duran on the point, which makes a lot more sense because he's a better distributor. You're probably right. Yeah. Have they tried that? Not under St. Louis, but I'm, I, we've seen that before. I, I think he's played on the point, but not like the way that they have it set up right now in kind of like an umbrella formation. Mm-hmm. He's never the guy in the middle. He was usually the guy at like the far left side. Okay. And I don't know if that's necessarily that he was playing the point so much as he liked to keep his distance and yeah. play like very close to the boards. That was when everything ran through Shea Weber, where it's, hey, we're going to give the puck to this guy. Everyone knows it's going there up and it's hit off of someone's shin pads are gone 17 feet wider than that. And Brendan Gallagher's hand is broken and there are children screaming and we're going to try it again. <laughs> and after this, anyways, if we can get the zone back. So, yeah, yeah it's uh, it's a wild situation. It's the power play has been bad for so long, but they did Forever. look good tonight. Um, other things that I had written down, obviously we, we talked about Josh Anderson. Um, obviously you can't go too far into this without saying that, uh, we got to say rest in peace to Mike bossy because that was a big thing before the game. I do wonder as much as the Canadians did come out like pretty well in this game, if having the somber ceremony to start the game kind of undercut them a little bit, you can tell in the first bit of this game, that if they would have just got one, this game was going to be a blowout. Like the Canadians wanted it so bad. And as soon as they could get one, it's like the dam was going to burst. Right. But just couldn't get it. And I I, I do wonder if that kind of held them back a little bit at the beginning of the game, but man, Mike bossy, what an absolute legend of a career. And if you get a chance to check out his, uh, his column that he wrote years ago, I believe, maybe even as far back as 2017 on uh, the player's tribune, the letter to my younger self. I find usually those are kind of not that great. His was phenomenal. It was really good and gives you some idea of the garbage that star players who were small dealt with back in the day in the NHL and before the NHL back into junior really good read. Yeah, I um I did a little bit of research on I was I was looking into Wayne Gretzky on under the lines of like, you know, if he never scored a goal, he'd still be the greatest scorer, point scorer in, in league history. And, you know, I was like, well, what happens if we like took away his power play points or something like like he wasn't allowed to play on the power play. And what I was finding in the early 80s was that like Mike Bossy was right behind him like all the time. It sucks that he played in the generation where like Wayne Gretzky was just terrorizing the sport. And like playing in New York, like if he played in any other era and he played that we'd be, I mean, Mike Bossy's a, 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 you know, a household name in, in, within the sport of hockey, but like, we're talking about like possibly a generational athlete. Yeah. Whose career was cut devastatingly short. Yeah. 10 years, man. It's, 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 it's amazing what he was able to do with that amount of time. And then also just decide I can't go halfway. Like I I'm going full speed or not at all. Um, that's got to be a tough choice to make. Having 38 goals be a down year. And I know it's the eighties <laughs> where like, you know, a fourth line plug could put up 25 goals if you really want to, but like 38 goals in a year where you're like suffering devastating pain in like all of across your body and everything is just stupid. Good. 
Yeah. I, I was like, I knew Mike Bossy was good. Obviously, it's like it's ingrained in hockey culture that he's an amazing goal scorer. And then I looked at his numbers and I went, holy shit. Like, and it's like you said, he played in the era of Gretzky and the Oilers and, you know, the last of, you know, some of the great, better Canadians teams. And it almost kind of gets lost in there with how good he was because everyone focused on the other guy playing in blue and orange on the other side of the continent. It's just a silly, somehow underrated and unheralded, you know, in the eyes of the greater public with how good he was. And it's a huge loss. It's been a really rough year for the Islanders, not only with their current situation, but just, you know, their alumni and the people that have passed away this season. It's been hard for them. And that's it. It's tough for that fan base right now, too. Yeah. I think it's yeah, the it first has. time I've seen like two of those in memoriam patches on a jersey at the same time. Like that's that's tough. Like it's it's tough for fans. It's tough like organizationally. They lost two ambassadors to their to their their team to the sport. So it's it's tough. It it hundred percent is. Um, but moving on from Mike Bossy, we're gonna make a hard right turn and talk about a couple of the players that stood out in a not so positive way. And not saying they were terrible, just compared to the rest of the team, a little bit behind. Uh, the player that I had written down first was Ryan Paling. Not because he was like terrible or anything like that. It's just what I've been noticing with his game is he makes the right decisions with the puck, but he lacks the refinement in his skill set to make those plays work. So like he'll get the puck in the offensive zone see a player who's open for like a cross ice one timer find the lane but the puck only gets across because it's waist high right and it's those kinds of things that i'm interested to see what adam nichols the the new skills coach can do working with a kid like ryan paling because let's face it ryan paling was never sold or not really by any scouting say not supposed to be a high-end offensive guy this year i know he's only got 14 points in 50 games but let's remember that the canadians have been uniformly terrible offensively have for they most been bad the year. i didn't know the, that he, i don't know <laughs> this is news bad. to me yes <laughs> and uh i i feel like this year he's actually shown more offensive flash than we have expected but with the lack of refinement i do wonder I know he scored last game, so it's probably the wrong time to drag him a little bit. But I, I wonder if we can get him to the next level or if the organization can get him to the next level. If we'll see him get to the next level because there's more there than I think a lot of people believed last year. His play with the rocket last year, and I know it's the Canadian division shortened season, this and that. He was on a line that scored near a point a game in the AHL or around that and played pretty regular defensive minutes for Joel Bouchard. And I thought, okay, he managed to stay healthy. He's contributing at even strength and on the power play. He's playing big minutes. It seems like he's kind of got that consistency into his game. I don't know if he's going to start in the NHL next season, but I think he's right there. And then it's frustrating because you see, like you said, he makes the right play or read, and then it just doesn't come off the way that it should. And it might just be a confidence thing. It might just be, like you said, a little bit of skill. And in tonight's game, I noticed him. It was, I think, the first or second period. Mike Hoffman slipped a pass into the slot. He backhanded it towards the net. And then I don't think I can remember or tell you what Ryan Palin did for the rest of the game. I know he didn't play a ton, but I could not tell you what he did tonight outside of that. 
Yeah. And another note on, on Adam Nicholas, I, I, I'm very interested in his, in what his role is going to be on this team moving forward. I listened to a podcast, uh, the next shift, they had Adam Nicholas on last March. So well before he was ever in the Canadian sort of, um, you know, in their eye. And he talked about like what the difference is between like first line players and fourth line players. And the difference is small, like from a mechanics standpoint, but what, what sets them apart is timing and understanding. He, He talked a lot about understanding the playing surface, like understanding that hockey is played on a rink and that positionally you have to put yourself in a spot to succeed in order to even just be able to use the tools, you know, how to use. So it's I I find I find him really interesting. Like the, the way that he sees the game is really digestible. He seems like a really passionate guy. I'd love to see what he's going to be able to do with Paling moving forward. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things. I feel like it's him, uh, a few other guys, and the biggest project that I want that, to see the Canadians working on, big time, is Joshua Wall. There's something there that you can polish that and turn it into an absolute diamond. Just talking to scouts who watch him. There are some issues with translating what he does in the queue into the higher levels. He's going to have to work on his skating and he's going to have to work on using his teammates a lot better instead of trying to do like everything on his own because his skating is not going to hold up at higher levels. So, but if they can get him playing the way that not necessarily the same style, but the way that Caulfield and Suzuki do in terms of like, they don't have to be the guy carrying the puck. They can distribute and share the load. That kid could be, Really, really good. Uh, there was a question here, I think, that I wanted to get to. Sorry, I had it lined up. Now I lost it. But, all right, so let's talk about Romanov because he was the other guy that, again, I don't think he had a bad game. I don't think he had a bad game. But offensively, man, oh, man, the decision-making, it's not good. And yep. I know last time I brought this up, people were talking about, uh, they were like, oh yeah, he learned from Jeff Petrie to always shoot into, into shin pads. But before this season, Jeff Petrie is actually one of the more accurate shooters in the league. So this season is a bit of an outlier for him. It's been a consistent issue this year, though. I will grant you that. But Romanov, he has one move in the offensive zone and it's to shoot. And it doesn't work. And we've got to get him passing the puck a little bit. Yeah, and it's not a particularly good shot either, if we're being quite honest. Even when it does make it to the net, I think there was a, a sequence, with, like, I think it was like six minutes to go in the third period. They're down by two, they're pushing, and he gets the puck clean lane to the net. He fires it on the ice into the goalie's legs. It somehow gets immediately back to him, and he does the same <laughs> thing again. <laughs> like, it, I, I tweeted at some point, like, there's nothing I like about that pairing at all. Like, defensively, they stink. And offensively, like, I mean, David Savard, unless he's on a rush, he's kind of a non-factor. But, I mean, and then Romanov, as you said, like, he's just, he just shoots and it's not good. <laughs> yeah. He's he's such a bizarre player that he has all this mobility and ability to skate with the puck. Like, he's a very good skater, I feel like, and he's able to carry the puck. I watched him go through multiple Islanders tonight to get into the offensive zone. And then the minute he crosses the blue line into the offensive zone, his brain just smooths out entirely. And he just goes shoot puck. It's like, no, you can skate it in deeper and work from behind the net. You can find a lane. And he's just like, I'm going to shoot it. And it's like, no, don't shoot it. It's like, I'm going to shoot it. Don't you? And he shot it. And it's like, 
a little finesse. Like Corey Schooneman is not a perfect player, but I watch him. He'll carry the puck in and he'll operate deep in the zone there. I've seen Jordan Harris do it a few times in his couple of games. Take He needs to take a few seconds and process the situation before he just goes, I'm going to shoot it. Sometimes, yeah, shoot it. That's great. That's awesome. Shoot for a rebound. Shoot for a tip. But you have all these good opportunities you're creating there when you're skating and then you just turn it off for some reason. Like continue doing what you're good at and it's not shooting the puck right now, unfortunately. I think they, I think he goes they had the him working zone on, he like, thinks he's fakes. the wrong Alex. Yeah. <laughs> five minute shifts, baby. Let's go. No helmet, five <laughs> yeah. minute shifts. He, he likes doing that too, honestly. Yeah. But I think they had him working on like pump fakes from the point too, where he would like, he'd fake a slap shot to try to get the guy in his lane to move out of the way. And that was cool. And I think it lasted about two games. And then he was just back to throwing the bucket at the net from the blue line with no other sort of deception involved. Yeah, it's not great. I feel like this is kind of the issue that the Canadians have going forward anyway, is their best offensive defenseman is their sixth defenseman in Chris Weidman. And you just, you can't win many games that way. And maybe it's good for the rebuild to have a bunch of defensive defensemen, but at a certain point, you got to have people who can create some offense from the back end. That doesn't necessarily mean shooting. It means getting the puck to the forwards in good position, supporting the play. And there's some guys who are defensively focused, like Edmondson, who can kind of do that pretty well. But uh, Romanov, yet to be seen, we'll say. Not it's... to pick on that pairing too much, but like last last game against Columbus, the first goal, the panel on Sportsnet was blaming Cole Caulfield for that goal against because he flew the zone to try to get a chance offensively, not mentioning the fact that it was a good read for him to leave the zone because his team had the puck when he left. Yep. The problem was that Savard couldn't complete a 10-foot pass to Romanov. Yep. And that's why he has to come back. And that's where that play breaks down. They're like, see, Caulfield flew the zone. He can't do that. Well, I think he should be able to expect that his NHL defenseman can make a 10 foot pass. <laughs> well, and that, that comes well, that's down where to, you're this wrong. Is the second time. Like that's the second time in a couple of weeks that the Sportsnet broadcast has been dead wrong about what Caulfield needs to do. His, shoot for, for rebounds, right? Yes, that was the, the Chris Simpson. He needs to start <laughs> shooting for rebounds instead of trying to pick corners because he's missing the net too often. And now it's like, don't fly the zone, Cole Caulfield. Be responsible defensively. And listen, being responsible defensively is cool and all, but if you've got a Cole Caulfield in the lineup, you don't want them to be constantly stuck on the back check and not having faith in their uh, uh, teammates to get them the puck when they fly the zone. When they have the puck yeah. and the other team hasn't noticed it yet, like, that should have been a breakaway, you yeah. know, and you want Cole Caulfield making those reads because that's going to be what makes him special. You don't want Cole Caulfield sticking in the, the in the defensive zone, trying to make the extra play defensively. And let's not forget that on that play, Caulfield was also interfered with for like five yeah. full seconds, like one steamboat, two steamboat. It's <laughs> ridiculous what they got away with on that one for Columbus, but that's neither here nor there. Cole Caulfield is doing what he should be doing. And I think this is a thing and all due respect to Jamal Mayers, who is the one who called him out for a defensive miscue in that like Jamal Mayers was a defensive player, right? That's his bread and butter. He's looking at it from his own perspective. He shouldn't be. 
You should be looking at it from a goal scorer's perspective, which Jamal Mayers never was. That's the end of it. I, I, I find it hard to like blame Cole Caulfield for stuff this season. It's like he's like one of the few bright spots on this team, and it's like now it just feels like you're picking on him because he's the rookie on the team here. And it's like, ah, well, pay your dues and do defensive stuff and yada, yada, yada. And meanwhile, Mike Hoffman is, you know, Hoffmaning it up in all three zones at one point or another. So, like, I will say Hoffman. I don't want to pick on him tonight. Defensively, though. Yeah, I've noticed like picking off passes in the neutral zone. You point that out all the time. Like, he's not bad defensively. It's just I don't trust him with the puck on his stick for more than two seconds. Yep, (laughs) that is the big thing. And I will say, like, Cole Coffey has scored more goals this year than Jamal Mayer's ever scored in a regular season. Oh, so I think (laughs) I. and I'm not trying to trash Jamal Mayers because he's not that kind of player. He was right. not that kind of player. Sure. But we got to recognize that not every player needs to play the same way. And I think this is a major, major problem. And why I'm really glad the Montreal Canadiens got Martin St. Louis because he doesn't view things this way. And we talked about Corey Schooneman earlier. And we mentioned like he was a guy who's good for like pinching and he is able to handle the puck. He made a a fucking terrible mistake tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Creating a three on O, which never happens in an NHL game. Guess who was out there the next shift? Corey Schooneman. He wasn't yeah. benched. And is that because there's nothing to play for right now? I don't think so. Because this game, the Canadians wanted to win. Yeah. They wanted to win this game. It's because Martin St. Louis, in his heart of hearts, doesn't believe that players should be punished for making mistakes when they're trying to do the right thing. And I love that. Love that. I I will say Cole Caulfield, there was a moment with him where where I knew the Canadians were getting shut out. He got the puck at some point really close down deep into the net, and he tried to outweight Sorokin. Like, he tried, instead of just using his shot to beat him, he knew, like, Sorokin was in his head. Like, this guy has stopped us 40 times already tonight. I have to get an absolutely perfect shot or it won't go in the net. Yeah, it's not often you see Cole Caulfield pass up the shot either. It's no. it's like you said, it, they're overthinking it. It's not that he got a bad chance off. It's just like you're Cole Caulfield. Grip it and rip it full yeah. send, baby. Like you don't need to play the deception game when your shot's as good as it is. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, I mean, that's kind of something that changed from the first 30 games of the season to the to the latter 30 games, right? Is Caulfield went from trying to look for that perfect shot to just I'm going to wire it on net. Yeah, you know, I'm still gonna try to pick a corner, but sometimes you need to make the extra move, and sometimes you don't. And tonight, it definitely felt like one of those times where he was making the extra move a little bit too often. Suzuki also twice yeah. on one power play had that like streaking in from the point, trying to fire it on net, and it just like it grazed off a stick or just a edge of. I think he shot one right off of the edge of the stick of Sorokin, yeah. and. There's so many what ifs in that game. I think the Canadians just, there's not much you can really criticize. They did as well as they could have considering the circumstances. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a weird one. All right. Uh, anything else stand out from the game to you guys? Well, we how talked we about how about Carrie bad Price? Zdeno Chara is. Yeah. yeah. Well, here, here, here's where we'll go. How are you guys <laughs> feeling about Carrie Price? We had a few questions in the chat asking about next season. Uh, are you satisfied with how he played tonight? 
I mean, there was one asking if he's going to play tomorrow night because he barely saw any pucks. I highly, highly doubt they're going to throw him yeah. back to backs to start him coming off of an injury that's kept him out all season. But that would be pretty wild. I don't think so. I think we'll see him next, like next week. But uh, how are you feeling about Carey Price? Are you, are you more confident going into next season? Are you thinking that he's not going to be part of the Montreal Canadiens next year? Where are you at? I. I'm ha- like, he didn't have a lot to do tonight. And like we discussed, there was an empty net goal, a three on O and a perfect shot from Noah Dobson. Like I, he's not at fault for anything. I thought he moved well considering his injury and how long he's been out, but I'd like to see, you know, how he continues to hold up. I assume he'll play most of the games down the stretch here, which there's seven of them. So like, I assume he'll get most of them and kind of go from there. I think he's a Canadian for as long as he wants to be, honestly. I don't think Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon or Martin St. Louis want to be the core of people that ended up trading Carey Price out of Montreal, right? unless unless he asks for that. And with Weber's contract getting shipped to whatever team needs to make the cap floor next season, I, I think they're going to be able to finagle it, make some things work. They're going to have a much younger roster, a much cheaper roster, but I think Harry Price will still be a part of that for as long as he wants to be. Yeah, I I don't know how confident I can be in him other than on a day-to-day basis after he just, he made 18 saves. Like, you know, there's just, we need to see more. And I think that's why it's a good thing. we They got him back to play out some games to finish out the season. But I, I mean, I, from a, just a, We've seen it before, right? Like, is this even the last time we have a Carey Price return game? Like, yeah, who knows, right? Like, we've I've seen this movie enough times to know how it ends, and it ends with us not knowing what's going to happen next. Like, every time he comes back from injury, ah, see, he's better. And then in 10 games, we're wondering, uh, is he going to go on the IR now because he slipped on a puck? Like, there's there, I think there's reason for concern here long term if there wasn't they wouldn't have taken so like such great lengths to not rush him back alan getting hurt would have been the perfect opportunity to be like carry price you have to play now yeah and they're not doing it so the previous regime would have allowed that to happen he also probably would have done it too yeah Yeah, that's the thing carry has (laughs) been partially to blame for that pattern right of coming back too early he wants to play he pushes himself too hard he wants to play as many games as he can. You know, that that is part of like the mental aspect of being an athlete that you need to be out there as much as you possibly can. And sometimes it's to their own detriment. Yeah. So Price shares his part of the blame in that. But I, I agree in that there is uncertainty. I will say there is one game left in the Canadian schedule aside from tomorrow that Carey Price should absolutely not play. It's the game against the Rangers. Because if Chris Kreider oh. comes down and smashes Carey Price again right after he comes back from injury, he might get murdered. Yeah. Hey, that's the thing is, like, I talked about tonight, like, if anyone bumped Carey Price, that Michael Pizzetta was going to turn into just a feral monster on the ice and maul them. If Chris Kreider were to Chris Kreider Carey Price again, I don't think, I think the bench would actually empty and yep. Chris Kreider would be brought out of the arena in a bag or several bags, depending on who gets to him first. Like I I know we're what eight years removed from that happening. Jesus Christ. We're eight years removed from that happening. But 
I don't think that Carey Price has ever forgotten that. And one, I think Carey Price will say, I want to play that game. And Chris Kreider is going to get somewhere close to him and he's going to catch a blocker right in the ribs because Carey Price plays no shit when it comes to stuff like that. He has a long memory and he doesn't like that. So, but yet. (laughs) To go back to that point about like athletes wanting to push themselves, like we just kind of saw this with the Masters, with Tiger Woods coming back after 11 months after nearly having his leg blown off. Like he was asked, you know, you said you're only coming back if you know, if you think you can win this tournament, do you think you can win the tournament? He said, yes. And then we watched him play three rounds of golf and the dude can barely walk. Like, you know, like athletes are kind of crazy. You, <laughs> like when Martin St. Louis said, like, Carrie's going to tell us when he's okay. No, no, <laughs> you don't do that. I, you know, shamefully was a Washington football team fan, Robert Griffin, the third, Blew oh, out his man. knee on turf, and he said, "I'm good." And then he went out there and he blew out his knee again. And, well, that was know, Shanahan's fault. Be like, "Nah, he's gonna play. He's still good." As he's limping out there with yeah. like half a leg attached to him, and ruined one of the most promising quarterback careers of all of in recent memory. But Terry Price is not a doctor. He should not be making his own medical decisions, especially at this point when he is a ten and a half million dollar asset. Like. You cannot risk this, especially later on in his career. And I know this might be tough to hear. Like if you're contemplating a buyout, you can't buy him out if he's hurt. You can't trade him if he's hurt. Like it's going to be really, you have to protect him, not only as the goalie on the ice. And I know it sucks to hear. And it makes me want to puke thinking about him as a, as a stoic asset and not a human being, but that's the reality that they're in. Yeah. There's a comment here. Sarah says that that's what price basically said is that he'd push hard and then get inflammation. So that is kind of being an athlete. You do kind of have to push harder as you recover from injuries, right? And see how good you are, right? You have to see closer to game state. But yeah, yeah, he, he's had a long history of pushing a little bit too hard at the wrong times. And I would hope that all this time off, as Kerry's gotten older, you know, he's three times a father now that he realizes that it's close to the end and he got so close last year, the chance of another run like that is unlikely that he wants to extend his career as long as possible. And to do that, be a little bit more humble in uh, not trying to get into every game and not pushing himself so hard when risking injury, but we don't know. And the Canadians are going to have to be careful if the plan is to be a carry price led team going into next season and the season after that, because that contract's really going to be tough to move if they want to move it. If Carey Price wants to get out, Canadians are going to have to eat salary or take a really bad contract back. And I just, I don't know how easy of a sell it would be to move Carey Price and not get like a marquee asset back, if you know what I mean. Just because of what he's meant to the organization, to take a hit, take a loss on that kind of trade, even though it makes sense from a contract standpoint and a future standpoint, it's just a tough one to like live with in the room, uh, explaining it to his teammates, that kind of stuff. And I know a lot of them are going to change over the next couple of years, but it's a tough one. I wonder, cause like I look at the closest comparable I can think to this is like Roberto Luongo leaving Vancouver is that it's like, this is a guy who was your franchise pillar for what the better part of a decade more, more in Carey Price's place. 
not getting a marquee asset back, it, it, no matter what, you're going to have a good chunk of the fan base hate it because of, like I said, what they meant to the team here. But at the same time, what do you get back for a $10.5 million, almost 40-year-old 40 year goalie? Like, there, there can't be a huge market for that unless an opposing GM is like, yeah, uh, awesome. And the only place I could think of that would do that is Seattle, where Carey Price is a local name, well, local-ish anyways. Sure. But outside of that, it's like Arizona's like, no, he has a full no-move clause too, doesn't he? Like, he's going to choose to where yeah. he wants to go. Yeah, so and I mean, that Kerry could facilitate that more. And the thing is, if he wants to leave the Montreal Canadiens, it's not going to be to Seattle, I don't think, because it'll be to, to win, right? So it, Seattle, as much as it makes sense from like where his wife's family is from, it doesn't really make sense career-wise for him. So I, I feel like that's a no-go. The only one that kind of made sense to me that I saw brought up earlier this week was... If Duncan Keith retires at the end of the season, not only do the Oilers save the 5.5 or whatever it is on the cap for him, the cap recapture penalty for them is actually a bonus $3.5 million that they would not have to, like, it would be like negative cap because they're paying him uh, less than what his cap is worth through the majority of the contract, right? So the cap recapture is to punish teams for players' salaries being higher than their actual cap hit. So Chicago would get dinged with a big cap right. hit, but Edmonton would get a $3.5 million surplus. So if Keith retired next season, their cap space would increase by like almost $9 million. So that's an interesting <sighs> scenario and could actually make the Duncan Keith trade worth it. Wow. Which is why... I, I I don't want Carey Price to go to the Oilers only because I don't want the Oilers to finally be rewarded for being garbage for a decade. Like I want to see Connor McDavid playing meaningful hockey. Like well, that's cool. Real. He can come to Montreal then. Like <laughs> I don't like leave Alberta. Like if they don't win around this year or they somehow don't make the playoffs, he's going to leave anyways. It's fine. It's totally fine. Um, I one. I also don't think Duncan Keith's going to retire because the Oilers must be punished for their hubris for thinking Duncan Keith was the right move to make in the first place. And also, Mike Smith is still signed for next season anyways. Like He's, you know. he's coming to Montreal on the trade. You shut oh your God. goddamn mouth. <laughs> Why do would that. you put... Don't do that to Jake Allen. Do not do that to me. Don't do that to Andrew. Ian, what the hell, man? No, 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 no. You need to no, recover no. the puck handling that Carey Price had, right? Yeah, It makes exactly. logistical sense, Scott. No, we're not going to do that. All right, there was a question here before <laughs> before we close things out, because uh, i got to be back at this tomorrow as well. Sarah asks, can we just mention Montembeau and how confused he was by his teammates in the first period? Yeah, I mentioned that during the game. <laughs> like He saw that first like half of the game, really, and was like, they can do this? They can play this well defensively. Now, the Islanders are an offensively inept team on the second half of a back-to-back. Who the Canadians just lost to. But... 12 shots. 12 <laughs> shots through the first 40, right? Yeah. Probably the they best 18 defensive in the game. season. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or best best Mon- defensive effort since the game against um, the Vegas Golden Knights that the Canadians absolutely dominated and, again, couldn't score. And then Allen had a really bad second period and blew the game. Yeah, if Montembeau was thinking that on the bench, I hope Jeff Petrie leaned over and went, yeah, it still doesn't end well. Don't worry about it. 
Like, oh, yeah. I've seen this one before. Yeah, um, exactly. Like, there's Jake no... Allen's sitting at home with a bag of ice on his, like, once again injured groin going, these motherfuckers can do what? Like, 40 shots a game, and then he blows out his groin in a meaningless game against Toronto on a goal. And it's like, you can't help but feel bad for him. And then, like, three games later, they're like, we're going to do a defensive masterclass. Uh, I hope none of the other goalies are watching. Like, well, I mean, just... to be fair, I don't think they'd be able to do this against the league. we don't know that we don't know that they could hit the playoffs with this no with this roster no way (laughs) with this roster Corey perry's we have there's no chance we beat i'm gonna get i'm gonna get banned from ever appearing on an stpn show again after this (laughs) so it's fine um i think once the playoffs start it's over in four three three like okay craig button (laughs) <laughs> at least he ate it after i will say this yeah about Craig Button. when he is wrong and hilariously wrong he calls himself out yeah, well yeah i know because i can hear it in the other room when he's saying it so it, it's fun he is a yell talker he is a yell talker so oh and at least his mic works though marty Biron's a yell talker and half the time he's like <laughs> <laughs> like on tsn i'm like get him a better mic Invest I was gonna in say a product, and it's like Marty. What did you think about Carrie this morning? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. He has a mic plugged in, like they showed it on the broadcast. But there's no way he's not just using the internal mic on his laptop. There's no he just chance. Didn't change it. <laughs> yeah, he forgot to plug it in. It's just a cord hanging down. <laughs> can we? Can I say something? I I think he got a haircut where his hair's like very short now. Yeah, he looks like a serial killer from a movie with his haircut <laughs> like that. Because he's got the goalie eyes still, so he's got that stare, but with his hair cut the way that it is and him staring at the screen, not really blinking, I'm like, is he going to stab me? Like, I don't know. I'm sure, I am I know Marty Baron is a very nice guy, but like, he had that look tonight that I'm like, I, I'm going to, I'm going to look the other way now because this is making me slightly uncomfortable that he might, he might just come through the screen and just stab me and then go back to talking about the game. So see from his viewpoint, everybody's Thomas hurdle. <laughs> fun must be always fun must be always. He's just like taking off his skate slash just throwing skate blades at a dartboard with his face on it. Still I'd is like, I could be, I could be somebody. <laughs> so we can cross TSN on, off the list of places we're allowed to go now, huh? Hey, that's gone. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Burnt that bridge. Well, you know what though? <laughs> I, I I still love Tia. They can they can ban us if they want. Uh, last comment of the night, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, Alex Schnatter says, "Isles fan here was rooting for Caulfield to score wearing twenty two, and would have been really poetic." Yeah, that that's a cool idea. Unfortunately, it was not able to happen. But you know what, though, as much as losing Carey Price's return sucks for the Montreal Canadiens, the Islanders winning. The Mike Bossy Memorial game is a cool moment. So we'll close on that. We'll ask uh, Scott and Ian to tell everybody where they can find their work. And of course, rest in peace, uh, Mike Bossy. And our con- deepest condolences go out to him, his family, and his friends. Everyone who knows Mike Bossy, haven't heard a bad word about him. So, uh, Scott, tell everybody where they can find you. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Scott Matla. Uh, all my stuff's at Habs on the Pri- Habs Eyes on the Prize writing wise. Uh, we're counting down towards the Rockets' likely playoff berth. And then you can find me at Lockdown Canadians. We're doing shows uh, five days a week on YouTube and Twitter at LO underscore Canadians. Hi, Laura. I hope we didn't make too much of a scene tonight. 
You can find me on my Twitter at maybe it's Ian. Uh, subscribe to the Build uh, Podcast. It's where you can find podcasts at Rabbit House for the blog. Andrew, I think this is the last time I'm on for the year. So uh, thanks for having me. Uh, it was great. This year's been really cool. Congrats on the on the the first year of this, and I'm excited to see how this evolves moving forward. Well, thanks, Ian. And yeah, we're kind of coming to the end of the line here. It's We've only got a few shows left. It's a weird feeling, honestly, the idea that I might not be on YouTube three to four nights every week and and talking Habs. (laughs) Just record anyway. Yeah, just record. (laughs) Make games up. (laughs) Just play them on NHL like Jesse does. (laughs) Upcoming Montreal Canadiens rebuild. I swear I'll win a Stanley Cup before 2034. It's not crab crab people. It's hab people. You can do it. Ah, there we go. All right. I'll. I'll float the idea to Jesse. We'll, we'll see if we can do it. All right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. As always, what I say, still tuning into this show during this crap heap of a season. I love you very much. And we've got, what, seven more games now? Seven more games, and then it's lottery time. We're going to have a special show for those who stuck around. Slight announcement. We're going to try to get as many Canadians fans together as possible on Zoom. And we're going to do a live react to when the NHL pulls the lottery and see if the Canadians win and get Shane right. So either super hype or massive disappointment. You will see the way this season is gone. I think we all know where it's heading. The draft is in Montreal. I'll see you again tomorrow night for Canadians versus, I believe, the Capitals.